So you need to open up your Bible to the book of James, and we're in James chapter 5. We are in James 5, right? We are James You didn't change five. it on me? That's true. All right, great. And right. Uh, before Ryan starts, I want to pray for him and just ask for God's richest blessing as he presents the word. Heavenly Father, um, God, I lift Ryan up to you today. I pray that he would handle your word accurately. Lord, that your spirit would speak to him and through him. And as important as all that is, God, we pray for our hearts as the receivers, that your Holy Spirit would have our spiritual antenna in tune with your words today. We understand the great privilege that the Word of God holds for us because through it you speak into our lives. And we ask for nothing less than that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you, Pastor Dave. Um, I'm excited to be here, able to preach in front of you guys this morning. Again, Pastor Dave continually putting a lot of trust and faith in me. Um, I know, though, on the one hand, he is letting me preach about money, every preacher's favorite topic to preach about. So uh, I just, I ask that you prepare your hearts. Um, Anytime we talk about money, it's something that right away people get a little bit defensive about. And so I hope that we're able to walk through this passage and see how God wants us to handle our wealth. So what we're going to do in starting today, um, we're going to do another thing that Pastor Dave asked us not to do. Last week he talked about how God is the judge and we're not to judge. But in order for me to do this lesson, I have to make sure that we're all calibrated and make sure that we're all good at judging people. I know it's something that we've probably all done. So we're going to play a game, and that game is called Who's Greedy Rich? And so we're going to go up on the screen. It's a real simple game. We look at the two pictures, and you guys have to help me decide. It's the guy in the beautiful home, uh, bigger than I could ever imagine, more beautiful, or the home of 800 square feet on the left. Which homeowner is greedy rich? The person on the left or the person on the right? I don't like that answer. Person on the left, right? Or on the right. Our first look is the person that lives in the home on the right. Well, they're greedy rich. Look at everything they have. Let's go to the next slide. We've got people dressed two different ways. We've got normal gals on the right, and then we've got our favorite socialites, or least favorite, Paris and Kim Kardashian with her Louis Vuitton purse that costs more than my home mortgage. Which person here is greedy rich? Kim and Paris on the left or the regular folks on the right? The people on the left. Okay, I'm helping you guys out. All right. The right. <laughs> Thanks, folks. All right, last picture. We've got a car on the left that's got four wheels and is drivable, or a car on the right that is something that even I look at it and go, ooh, that'd be really nice in my driveway. Which car, which driver is probably the greedy rich? The guy on the right or the guy on the left? The right. We're really in tune to picking out people who are rich. It comes really easy to us. We see the big house, the nice cars, the fancy clothes, and we go, oh, they're so rich. Another thing, with Christmas coming up, we've got something that's my favorite. When you get that Christmas card from the family who has more money than you, and it tells you about their two vacations that were fantastic, and how little Joey got to spend a month overseas as part of his schooling, and you're like, isn't Joey only in third grade? How's that work? And, you know, they refinish their basement, and you're like, come on. Could you lay it in any thicker? Like, I get it. You have more money than me. 
And quite honestly, it irritates me when people do that. I'm like, really? Do you have to flaunt your money like that? Do you have to live that luxuriously? Is that really what you're going to do with your money? Tell me I'm not the only person that feels this way. Like, when we walk even into the store, we can't get away from it. Right now, we've got the uh, unsuccessful marriage of Kim Kardashian that lasted 72 days. And because she's on TV for doing nothing and having a marriage that was a sham, she's on the cover of all these uh, magazines when you walk through the store. And you're like, I just can't get away from all these people who have so much and they waste it. They're not doing anything with it. When you compare them to, you watch the commercials for, say, Samaritan's Purse or Feed My Starving Children, and you see kids who have no money, have no schooling, they're eating dirt cakes. You're like, this isn't fair. Some people have so much, while other people have so little. But fortunately, we can take solace in knowing that God notices the same things. And just like we feel it's not fair, so does he. So as we open our Bibles to James chapter 5, if you're not there yet, a little background, I know we've talked about it. The book of James was a letter written to the church in general across the Mediterranean region, the diaspora. So it wasn't just one church like some of Paul's letters. It went to lots of people, but it went to believers. But one of the interesting things we see in James chapter 5 is James frequently throughout the letter has said, my brothers, brothers. He's talking to the inner crowd, the church. But he starts James chapter 5 verse 1 with, now listen, you rich people. And that's a real change from what the rest of James and how it's written. So what we really see in this passage is that James is writing this piece here, not necessarily to the people in the church, but probably to the people outside of the church, those who are oppressing those who are in the church. So why would he write to people who aren't going to read the letter, right? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And what we see is it's a lot like a woe oracle of the Old Testament. The ones that we read it and we go, really? God allowed him to write that, that he's going to tear these people down and he's going to kill all that? A woe oracle is a warning that often told a king or a kingdom, hey, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to be judged. And so this piece of James looks a lot more like one of those woe oracles than it does a letter to brothers. And that's what we need to pull out. But one of the pieces of the church reading this, what we're going to see, is that it offers comfort. When you see, oh, God sees the injustices that I see. God's going to judge those people for what they're doing. It offers the church comfort. Rather than feeling like, how can this be? This isn't fair. We go, okay, it's not fair right now, but we know that God is going to make it fair when one day he judges them for what they're doing. Right? Um, So now we're going to read James chapter 5, but rather than reading it to us because we're the church, we're going to read it to our three empty stools. And what we need to imagine here in our stools is first we have, I've talked about her a couple times, Kim Kardashian. She just earns it because she irritates me. Donald Trump, the guy that if he's out of the news for more than a month, he decides he's running for president or he's not running for president or he's doing whatever it takes to put more money in his pocket. How can I get my show's ratings higher? He's even bankrupt his own partners so that he could benefit down the road with his company. Like, he'll do whatever it takes to put more money in his pocket. And in the third stool, you can imagine any person you want in your life that they've taken advantage of you. 
any person that financially they've done something to get the upper hand on you. Maybe it's an ex that when you split up, they just felt like they were taking everything. Or a partnership that went south and you lost a ton because the other person was just taking all that they could. Maybe you've been laid off from a job just so that the company's bottom line could look a little bit more impressive. These are the people that you're like, come on, really? So we're going to read this passage to them. Join me, or not join me, listen, enjoy, feel comfort. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted. And moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. An interesting point here, gold and silver are actually two metals that are valued because they don't corrode. But God's saying his judgment is going to be in totality. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Wow, that's a really big rebuke. That's not like anything else we see in the Bible. In Luke 24, we read, But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. This is in a whole different level. Even Paul doesn't write to the church like this. It goes way beyond. Weep and wail. Misery is coming. Wealth has rotted. Gold and silver are corroded. They'll eat your flesh like fire. Now those of us who have experienced being on the losing side of these people's selfish gain... Do you understand that comfort that you feel in recognizing God's going to judge? Even though right now it doesn't feel fair, you can know God will judge. But then when you sit and you think about it, I start to get an uncomfortable feeling. I start to think, what's the difference between us who are able to watch and feel comfort in knowing God's going to judge And those who are sitting in the stools, the target of God's wrath. What's the difference? What separates? I mean, if we think of a cutoff point in our mind, like think of a number. Well, if I make more than this amount, then I'd be rich. And when I think of that, of course, it's a number more than how much my wife and I make, right? Because I'm not the rich. It's those people. Um... But is that necessarily what it means to be rich? So we're going to play our game again. We're going to go back to who's greedy rich, and we're going to play it with a twist. So if we could bring these slides up. You know, when we played this last time, we decided the person on the left was greedy rich. But when we make a quick change, now who's greedy rich? Right? Now it's the person who has a roof over their, house, over their head and has windows and doors and heat and running water and electricity. That's the person that appears greedy rich when you look at that picture. Or the next one. When you take out Kim in Paris and you flip it and you find a lady who all of her possessions are in a bag and she doesn't have a place to go home. It's under a tree. Who's greedy rich now? 
Oh, it's the people who actually have enough underwear to make it through the week in sweatshirts and jeans. Or the next one, a car that drives or a fancy car, but when we switch it, I'm sure the family of three on the moped would love to have four wheels instead of two, right? So what changed? Why did the answers in this game change? It's because the comparisons changed. So what we learn is that being rich is relative. When you compare yourself to the richest people in America, then you're like, I'm not rich. But when you turn around and you compare yourself to the poorest people in the world, you go, oh, every single person in this room is wealthy. Every single person, no matter where you are in the spectrum, because we live in America, we have housing, we have clothes, we have electricity, we're all considered rich. But this still doesn't answer the question. Who specifically is James talking about in this passage, right? James doesn't tell us where that line is. He doesn't give us a numerical figure anyway, but he does give us a straight answer. So what we need to look at is there's four categories of people, really. And you first divide, there are people who are rich and have a lot, and there are people who are poor and don't. And what I just described is where that line is is completely relative, and James doesn't tell us where that line is. But James does point out where another line is. And that's the difference between godly use of money and greedy use of money. We can use our money to glorify God, or we can use our money to glorify ourselves. That's the difference between godly and greedy. And when you put these two lines together, you get the intersection. You've got godly rich and greedy rich. They both have money, but it's how they use their wealth. And you've got godly poor and greedy poor. And they both have less money than they'd like to have, but it's still, what's their attitude towards the wealth? The greedy poor person is saying, I don't have any money and I need it and I deserve it and I've got to get it. And the godly poor person might say, you know what, right now I don't have all that I want, but I, knew that I know that my God will meet my every need. Right? Four types of people. So when we're looking at James, what we need to see is James points out the difference between the godly and the greedy through two signs. The first sign we see in chapter 4, and that is how we acquire our wealth. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. What's going on in this situation is a very small amount of people own all the fields. And we've got all these fields that get mowed and get worked and get plowed by the people. And the people need to get paid every day so that they can buy food for their family. But the landowner doesn't get paid for the crop till the end of the season, right? So he's saying, well, I haven't been paid yet. I'm not going to pay you. But he's the one with the land. The people who are working, they've done their work and they deserve their pay. But the landowner's holding on to the money unjustly because he can And he's allowing the people to bear the brunt of the fact that he doesn't get paid till the end of the crop. And this actually goes straight to a law set in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 14 and 15, if we want to turn there right now. Deuteronomy 24, 14 and 15. Twenty-four, fourteen, and 15 is, You shall not oppress. This is God, Moses writing God's law to the Israelites. 
You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. So right here, God's warned in his law, lest the worker that you're holding the wages against, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be found guilty of sin. Well, that's basically the picture that James is painting here in verse 4, isn't it? The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. So what we learn in this point is that how we accumulate wealth determines if we're greedy. If we accumulate wealth at others' expense, then we're greedy. If we work hard and we earn our money and we do things for society and we happen to be blessed by a return of wealth, that's not wrong. That's not a sin. It's not a sin to have money. James is saying it's a sin and it's greedy if how you acquire money is at the expense of other people. So what are some ways that we might be doing this at the expense of other people? Perhaps in the most direct account, you are a boss and you set the wage scale for somebody and you pay them less than they deserve to be paid so that your bottom line is higher. That would be the most direct application out of this scripture. Maybe you're part of a program, like a Ponzi scheme, the type of thing where, well, I'll put my money in and I'll get more money to put their money in and then I'll get money and ultimately the whole thing's built on you're getting money but you haven't done anything for anybody and the money you're getting is from somebody else's money, right? You're acquiring wealth but it's really coming from somebody else. Maybe when you go to a nice restaurant and you get the bill and it's like, whoa, $54, how did it get that high? Well, I'm not going over 60, so I'll leave a $6 tip. And, you know, it's almost, you know, it's a little over 10%, but your service was great. And you're setting the tip solely based on how much money you want to have in your pocket at the end of the night. And not paying the server who did their job, did everything they were supposed to, went above and beyond, and you're holding back, you're not being generous, so that at the end of the day, you have more money in your pocket, Right? That would be a situation where we're being greedy. We're trying to have more in our pocket at somebody else's expense. This can even apply to you go to a store, you're shopping, you buy an item, you ring it up at the register, and it's less money than what you know the sign said on the thing, on the uh, card when you purchased it. And you can say, yay, I get five more dollars in my pocket. But when you really think about it, the five dollars that are now in your pocket are at the expense of the people who are running the store because they made a mistake, right? So we've got to think about how are we accumulating our money? Are we doing it through the right ways, working hard? God told Adam to work, so we should work. It's okay. It's okay to get paid. Or are we doing it at other people's expense? Next, we turn to the second sign that we are greedy rich, found in verse 5. And this sign is really interesting when we think about what's ahead of us in the next five days. Verse 5. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. 
So on Thanksgiving Day, we're all going to sit around big tables full of food, right? And we're going to indulge in all the best meals that we don't take the time to make the entire rest of the year. Am I saying that that's a sin? No, I'm not. Did you know what? The Israelites had lots of huge feasts and lots and lots of food. It's okay to feast. But we have to think about, okay, are we overindulging? Are we self-indulging? Are we experiencing things just for the fact that we want to treat ourselves like kings? And then the day after Thanksgiving, my favorite, is Black Friday, where we all run out to the store at five in the morning so that we can buy that technology gadget that we absolutely have to have because it's half price, right? And oh, it's just $200 here and another $100 there, and at the end of the day, you've spent $500, but you saved a 1000 right? And you needed all these items. Or is that living in luxury? Is that self-indulgence? I would suggest that a sign of self-indulgence or of being greedy rich is when you have a surplus, an excess amount of money or belonging stuff or even time that you're holding on to or acquiring for your own selfish reasons. If you're hoarding all these things for your own comfort, you are greedy rich. All right? It's okay to have the things. It's why you have them and how you use them. Okay? If you're acquiring them for your own comfort so that your life can be easy and you can show off all your gadgets, you've got higher status, you're putting yourself as God, and you're being greedy rich. For my family, we actually had more toilets in our house than we had people at one time. You might have multiple TVs, multiple cars in your driveway. You might have lots of computers, a huge savings account. There's so many different things that you might be holding on to that when you think about it, you might be hoarding. It might even be your time. You might be right now sitting unemployed and saying, you know what, I don't have any of those things and I don't have lots of money. Now let me sit down on the couch and watch a bunch of TV. Well, you've got all this time because you're unemployed. I can relate to that. I went a long time without a job in seminary. And now you've got this time. How are you going to use your time? Are you going to use it for your own glory, sitting and watching TV? Or are you going to use it for God's glory? We all have stuff. We all have time. How do we use it? Interestingly, Jesus, richest man on earth, Through him, everything was created. Everything is at his fingertips. Did he use it all for his own selfish enjoyment? Did he sit around and like, hey, I can do whatever I want. I'm going to sit in luxury. These people have no idea. I'm the richest guy here. Is that how he lived? Like he could have had anything he wanted, but that's not the life he lived. Instead, he lived a life where he used his stuff and he used his time for God's glory. So now after we think about our own self-indulgences and we think about how we really don't measure up to Jesus, we can try to read this passage and pretend that it doesn't apply to us. But really, when we have all of our TVs, we have all of our cars, we really do like to sit and watch TV sometimes for longer than we should. We're just, we've got these things and sometimes we're tired and we're like, you know what, I need this, I need me time. I need that item for me because I just need it right now. I deserve it. I've earned it, right? And we're not thinking about God. Some of you ladies have a kitchen, my wife is guilty of this, where you have 12 serving trays, but they're all different sizes and different colors and different shapes because you never know what type of meal you're serving. 
You've got these excesses. Why do you have them? So the first time I read this passage, we sat back and we were on the comforting side of saying, you know, this is great that God's going to judge the people who are rich and that we know that God's going to make things fair. But now we need to reread this passage and recognize that there are times in our lives, maybe it's not all the time, but there are times in all of our lives, I think, where we say, yeah, we are these rich people. All right? So let's reread this passage recognizing that we are sometimes on the receiving end of this. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Fortunately, Jesus doesn't leave us here just going, whoa, you know, with this warning. Fortunately, Jesus didn't He didn't not only come to be a model for us in how to live, but then he ended his life by dying a death on a cross he didn't deserve so that we could find repentance in him. So that we could say, Jesus, you're right. We have lived the life of the rich to the extent of being greedy, living in luxury and self-indulgence, and I'm sorry. So what we need to do is we need to turn and we need to repent We need to say, God, sometimes I have a sinful, selfish heart. Take that away from me. Help me to use what you've given me for your glory. Help me to stop living for myself. Help me to stop managing my wealth for my own comfort. But help me to recognize that my wealth, my stuff, my time is all from you to be used for you, for your glory. This repentance, it's not just saying I'm... I'm sorry, God, but it's a turning and saying, I'm going to do this differently. I'm actually going to change my behavior. And so what are some things that we can do to surrender our surpluses in our life? Well, based on our first point, what we need to do is we need to think, how, do, how are we making and saving money? And are we doing it fairly or are we doing it at somebody else's expense? And secondly, We need to look at all the things we have in our life, all the things God's blessed us with, and think, are we using these for God's glory or our own? Getting back to the story where my wife and I had three toilets in our house for two people, and I had a -a 10-hour-a-week job and was going to seminary. So I had time, we had multiple cars, we had a big house, and we had plenty of money. And we said, we're not using these things for God's glory. We're having a great time going out to eat three and four nights a week and just relaxing, watching TV all the time. We were incredibly comfortable. But we recognized that we were living our lives for our own glory and not for God's glory. So then we decided to get into foster care. About two years ago, we made that decision. And you go through all the training and you lose a lot of time in training. And then we got two little kids moved into our house. And all of a sudden, our house changed dramatically. And my time was being used for God's glory, speaking into these kids' lives. And our money was being spent for God's glory because foster care doesn't make you rich. (laughs) And our things were being used and abused and destroyed. But it was for God's glory because we were building into these little kids. There's nothing greater than hearing the little girl in the back of your car singing, everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. Like, 
you know, mighty to save coming from the nine-year-old in the back of your car. It doesn't get better than that. That's using your stuff for God's glory. And I'm not saying everybody needs to run out and become a foster parent because that's really hard to do and it's a calling. But some of you have multiple cars and you're like, you know, do we need the third car or could we get by without a third car when we hear of somebody who needs a car? Can I loan that car out? Do I have the spare bedroom in my house when I hear of somebody who needs just a place to stay? Or can I let somebody live with me? Yeah, we're all adults. We may not want roommates. But if you've got the space, how can you use the space to God's glory instead of just so that you have the fancy guest room when people come over to stay? I've been there. Our guest room was great. Maybe you're unemployed like I talked and you don't have a lot of money, but you have time. And there are so many places that you can donate your time that people who are working 40 and 50 hours a week wish they had the time to do. How can you use your time for God's glory? Maybe you've got a big house with a big living area, a big kitchen, and all those silverware platters I talked about. Then host things for people. Use your house as the place where God's people can come together. They can do small group. They can just be together. Use your house in that way. Think of what you have and think of how you can use it. Can we do those things? Can we think about how we accumulate wealth and make sure that we're doing it in a godly way and not at the expense of others? Can we think about how we're spending our money, how we're using our money, how we're enjoying our money, and are we doing it to the point where we say, I'm being selfishly indulgent? Or how can I use that for God's glory instead, what he's blessed me with? The whole book of James has been pick. You've got a tongue, you can use it for good or you can use it for evil. You can find wisdom from above or from the world. This is, we've all got wealth. We've all got money or time, or belongings. And the question is, how are you going to use it? Are you going to use it for your own glory, in your own comfort, or are you going to use it to the glory of God? Let's bow our heads and pray. God, thank you so much for your word that you do teach us so much about life, every aspect, every angle, including money and wealth, something that we're uncomfortable with, Lord, but you've given us your plan. You've given us uh, how you want us to manage our wealth. We thank you for that gift of what you've given us, and now we pray, Lord, that you would help us to take this, these ideas and to implement them in our lives. Help us to not just hear these words this morning, but to take this afternoon or tomorrow to ponder how we can live our lives more for your glory and less our own. I thank you, God, for this time to read your word, and I pray that the rest of this day would be a great one for all of us. Amen.